Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Yeah, five is something we, we could talk about. Good. And then the other five is to forget about the 468 people that you knocked off with your weed killer. Let me finish up this meeting. I'll talk to Do Don. I look like I'm negotiating? Conversations about collaboration. Bonus episode, baby. Yeah, I'm providing an extra goodie this week. The audio book version of Reimagining Collaboration is finally out. Mic drop. Here is a sample from it. Enjoy the dulcet tones of rock star Gary Bennett. The dude makes me seem pretty freaking smart. Part one. The collaboration imperative. Chapter 1. The Evolution of Collaboration The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. William Gibson Long before we stood upright, collaboration was essential to our species' survival. Since the dawn of our existence, we have worked together in some capacity. How do I know? Simple, because I wouldn't be here without collaboration. Neither would you or anyone else for that matter. But don't take my word for it. Cavemen and Collaboration Archaeologists know that two million years ago, members of Homo erectus needed to work together in order to survive. Put differently, collaboration wasn't optional. Hunter-gatherers' challenges included foraging for food and water, finding shelter, keeping warm, and staving off wild animals. Hunters got a hunt, right? Around 10,000 years ago, our ancestors developed a new and better means of providing subsistence. Farming. At a high level, the agricultural revolution required Homo sapiens to work together. As Yuval Noah Harari writes in his best-selling book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, Wheat didn't like rocks and pebbles, so sapiens broke their backs clearing fields. Wheat didn't like sharing its space, water, and nutrients with other plants, so men and women labored long days weeding under the scorching sun. Of course, today, relatively few of us call ourselves farmers. As of this writing, they represent a mere 1.3% of the U.S. workforce. No matter. As Harari describes, collaboration wasn't easy millions of years ago, but we did it because it was essential. Notably, we also worked together in person because, again, what other option was there? Cavemen didn't whip out their smartphones, fire up Google Docs, or text each other. Early Office-Based Collaboration Fast forward ten millennia or so to about 1950. People were much more likely to work in offices than in the fields. Picture madmen. Like agrarians, though, most professionals worked in close physical proximity to their colleagues. During this quaint era, people could certainly exchange information and ideas. That is, they could collaborate synchronously. Doing so, however, meant that they needed to meet in an office, board trains or planes, or pick up the phone. As for asynchronous work, typewriters and intra- and inter-office memos ruled the day. Friction abounded. 
Executives typically employed secretaries to make appointments, coordinate schedules, and handle other administrative work. Mainframe computers existed, but they were enormously expensive, rare, bulky, and limited by 1990s standards, let alone those of today. New technologies and tools changed the game. This model of decidedly low-tech collaboration began to shift around 1995. Although early incarnations of the Internet had existed since the mid-1960s, it was largely the purview of academics and government types. A few things happened that brought the Internet and high-speed communications to the consumer and business worlds. Most notably, Sir Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web in 1989. Mark Andreessen and Eric Bina launched Mosaic, the insanely popular and user-friendly web browser, in February of 1993. To be sure, the Internet and the web changed many things. Photo development services, travel agents, fax machines, most bank tellers, executive secretaries, and blockbuster videos largely went the way of the dodo. Within a relatively short period of time, laptops, e-commerce sites, sophisticated productivity software, nascent video conferencing tools, search engines, social networks, blogs, smartphones, tablets, email, websites, and file-sharing services arrived. For the purposes of this book, these powerful new tools meant that synchronous workplace collaboration no longer needed to occur in person. For its part, asynchronous collaboration became quicker and easier. In a word, collaboration was becoming more virtual. The turn of the century births purely distributed companies. Plenty of companies and individuals resisted these fundamental changes in how they worked, by themselves and with others. No shocker here. For example, in 1998, I worked at Merkin Company, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. I vividly remember Jonas, a pseudonym, a less-than-tech-savvy vice president of human resources. He effectively used his laptop as a paperweight. Jonas told his secretary to print out his emails. He handwrote his responses for her to type. Back then, such behavior was not exactly the paragon of efficiency. Still, it was understandable and not uncommon. At the other end of the technology adoption spectrum, some prescient individuals immediately recognized the vast possibilities that these new tools presented. As a result, they went all in on tech. These distributed companies built collaboration and tech savviness into their DNA from day one. Here are two of them. Basecamp. In 1999, Jason Fried, Carlos Segura, and Ernest Kim started 37 Signals, a web design firm. Over the years, the company had released a number of different software applications. In February of 2014, it shifted its focus to its project management tool, Basecamp, and rebranded under that name. Today, Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen, a.k.a. DHH, run the company. DHH currently lives in Benahavis, Spain, while Freed calls Chicago, Illinois his home. Its other 50-some employees live wherever they want and rely extensively on collaboration tools. DHH and Freed have codified their philosophy into a number of best-selling manifestos, most notably Rework and Remote, Office Not Required. In short, 
they find the notion that all work needs to take place in the same physical space at the same time absurd. Automatic You may not have heard of Matt Mullenweg, but you've doubtless used his company software. Automatic maintains WordPress, the open-source content management system that runs a full 39% of the world's websites, more than 60 million in total. WordPress provides the plumbing behind the New York Times, BBC America, the Rolling Stones, and oodles more household names. On a personal level, I've been using WordPress for a decade. It's awesome. If you think that Automatic is no five-person startup, trust your instincts. As of May 2020, it employed 1,184 people. One thing, however, hasn't changed. Since its founding in August 2005, Mullenweg has proselytized remote work. Automatic has operated as a purely distributed company from day one. So, employees never meet each other, right? Nope. Each year, everyone descends upon an exotic locale for the company's annual gala. My friend Scott Birkin spent a year working at Automatic on a participative journalism project. As he writes in his 2013 book, The Year Without Pants, WordPress.com and the Future of Work, the rest of the year we work online from wherever in the world each of us happened to be. By definition, Automatic employees must collaborate well or the company would fail. It's as simple as that. To be sure, most of the early distributed companies shared one common characteristic. In one way or another, they were in the technology business. Why effective collaboration still remains elusive. Employee management tension today is alive and well. You don't need to be a Marxist to observe as much. Over the past few decades, one source of persistent conflict has been remote work. Employees have long wanted it. Managers have generally been loath to sanction it. Our reasons for wanting to work outside of the office vary. At or near the top of the list, however, is increasing commute times. In 2018, the average U.S. employee spent a record 225 hours, more than nine full days, traveling to and from work. At the extreme, some supercommuters slogged a mind-boggling two or more hours each way to the office. With this in mind, you might have expected the majority of employers to have offered flexible work arrangements years ago. I'm talking about relatively minor concessions, such as four-day work weeks and occasionally working from home. Let's see what the data says. Not remotely prepared for remote work. In May of 2019, Harvard Business School and Boston Consulting Group released a lengthy study called Future Positive. How Companies Can Tap Into Employee Optimism to Navigate Tomorrow's Workplace. The two organizations surveyed 11,000 workers and 6,500 business leaders. One of the study's findings is particularly apropos here. People consistently voiced their preference for remote work. Sadly, a mere 30% of those surveyed indicated that their businesses were prepared to even offer it. Then, COVID-19 happened. Forced Adoption of New Collaboration Tools There are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks in which decades happen. Vladimir Ilyich Lenin Hundreds of millions of people across the globe suddenly found themselves in the middle of the greatest work-from-home experiment in history. Here's the data from the United States. 
Figure 1.1 shows the percentage of Americans working remotely, which rose from 31% between March 13th and 15th, 2020, to 62% between March 30th and April 2nd of 2020. Faced with no other option, organizations reluctantly embraced alternative work arrangements. Many of them purchased and rolled out Slack, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and other internal collaboration hubs at the core of this book. They had no choice. Lenin was right. Management permitting employees to work remotely is one thing. Getting them to work and collaborate effectively outside of the office is another matter altogether. That is, companies weren't flipping a switch. Foolish is the soul who believes otherwise. Successfully navigating and collaborating in this new environment requires new tools, new norms, and, just as important, a new mindset. Remote, first or exclusive companies, such as Automatic, Basecamp, and Slack, didn't miss a beat when COVID-19 hit. For them, very little changed because each firm had established a strong culture predicated on flexible work and collaboration tools. Their workforces had already developed the muscle memory necessary to succeed in this new world. At the risk of oversimplifying, the vast majority of organizations did not. The typical firm was wholly unprepared for the new normal. Ditto for most employees, many of whom struggled applying old tools to dramatically new situations and learning new collaboration software. Trust Issues It's worth noting that plenty of organizations didn't immediately and unequivocally trust their employees to work remotely. On the contrary, employee surveillance software became more prevalent from a Wall Street Journal article on April 18, 2020. Makers of workplace monitoring products say they have logged an increase in orders since the coronavirus altered life. Rita Selvaggi, chief executive of employee monitoring software ActiveTrack, says more than 1,000 new companies have signed up to use her company's tool in recent weeks. I get it. It's easy to see why a manager wants to see her employees' daily productivity scores or reports on which ones violated company security policies. Still, I'd bet my house that plenty of organizations prioritized purchasing software that surveilled their workforces over technology that would allow them to collaborate in a completely new environment. Remote work is here to stay. Never waste a good crisis. Winston Churchill as I write these words, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic, the very definition of a crisis. Keep in mind, however, that all crises eventually end. At some point, hopefully soon, there will be a vaccine and herd immunity will ensue. Things will go back to normal, right? In some ways, yes. We'll eventually eat at restaurants, get on planes, attend sporting events and concerts, and congregate in groups without fear and masks. When it comes to work, however, the profound effects of COVID-19 will remain with us forever. The Work Legacy of COVID-19 Ten years from now, I suspect that we'll look back at COVID-19 as follows. It didn't change how we work. Rather, it accelerated changes that were already taking place. COVID-19 accentuated the need for people to collaborate from separate environments and time zones. What's more, as a byproduct, it increased the rate at which people adopted truly collaborative technologies. To be sure, the applications of the future will certainly change, 
but COVID-19 may put the final nail in the coffin of 90s-style email-based collaboration. The data is unmistakable. In the immediate wake of COVID-19, people began fleeing pricey cities for more affordable ones. Figure 1.2 shows the U.S. cities with the biggest percentage gains in net arrivals between April to August 2020 compared to the same period in 2019. Topping the list is Jacksonville at 10.7%, followed by Salt Lake City at 9.6%, then Sacramento at 7.6%, Milwaukee at 4.5%, and Kansas City at 3.9%. Figure 1.3 shows the U.S. cities with the steepest percentage declines in net arrivals between April to August 2020 compared to the same period in 2019. Portland had a 9.7% decline in net arrivals, followed by Boston at 9.9%, then Seattle at 10.6%, then San Francisco at 21.1%, and topping the list is New York City, at 23.4% decline in net arrivals. Against this backdrop, companies are increasingly announcing that they will allow their employees to work from home indefinitely. Examples include Adobe, Aetna, Amazon, Facebook, and Zillow. Their management rightfully sees the shift toward remote work not as a problem, but as a multifold opportunity. Access larger and more diverse talent pools. First, a truly global workforce allows companies to widen their search for talent. For instance, Facebook no longer needs to compete with Apple, Google, and Twitter for the same limited group of local software engineers and data scientists. As Pinterest's chief financial officer, Todd Morgenfeld, told the San Francisco Chronicle on August 28, 2020, As we analyze how our workplace will change in a post-COVID world, we are specifically rethinking where future employees could be based. A more distributed workforce will give us the opportunity to hire people from a wider range of backgrounds and experiences. A promising candidate in Des Moines, Iowa, might be just as qualified as his brethren in Menlo Park, California. Reduce labor costs. Oh, and Pinterest won't have to pay that Iowan anywhere near the same base salary. As of this writing, the median home price in Des Moines is $140,800. The comparable number in Menlo Park is a cool $2.4 million. Do the math. In fact, many CXOs are already asking whether their companies need to pay employees their existing wages as they relocate to lower-cost areas of the country. On September 11, 2020, Bloomberg QuickTake tweeted the following. Twitter, VMware, and other Silicon Valley tech companies are cutting pay for workers leaving the Bay Area for cheaper digs, including an 18% salary decrease for those moving to Denver and an 8% cut for San Diego-bound employees. Expect this trend to continue, no matter how much people grouse about it. Lower corporate real estate expenditures. Regardless of location, hiring fewer in-person employees lowers corporate real estate costs. In late August of 2020, Pinterest paid nearly $90 million to terminate a massive 490,000-square-foot lease in a trendy San Francisco district. Expect an increasing number of firms to lease less office space in the future. Again, the math here is compelling. The general rule of thumb is to allow anywhere between 125 and 225 usable square feet of office space per employee. 
Forget New York City, London, San Francisco, and other chic metropolitan areas. Consider downtown Austin, Texas. Paying $50 per square foot per month isn't uncommon. A modest 150-square-foot office costs $7,500 per month. Those expenses drop significantly or disappear altogether if a company embraces remote work. Position themselves as employee-friendly places to work. Lucy is a talented graphic designer and single mother. She's thinking of making a move. Say the two organizations, ABC and XYZ, offer her identical pay, benefits, responsibilities, and room for advancement. ABC insists that Lucy perform all of her work in the office, while XYZ offers considerable flexibility in that regard. Which job do you think she will take? Expect many, if not most, organizations to at least partially accommodate their employees' requests for flexible work arrangements. You don't have to be a sorcerer to envision a future with permanent hybrid work arrangements. Perhaps Peter will work three days at home and two in the office every week. Michael might work mostly from home and visit the office only for key meetings and brainstorming sessions. Forced Adoption of Remote Work In my years as a college professor, Larson Epp distinguished himself as one of my best students. After graduating from ASU in 2017, we remained in touch. Larson didn't move far for his first full-time gig. He accepted a position at his alma mater as a business intelligence analyst. A year or so into his job, armed with a solid track record, he broached the possibility of working remotely one day per week with his manager, Lou. Unfortunately, Lou had reservations. That is, until COVID-19 forced his hand. At that point, everyone in his department started working from home indefinitely. Larson proved to Lou that he could be just as productive and collaborative while away from the office. When things returned to normal, odds are that Lou will reconsider letting him work remotely. In a way, nothing has changed from our Homo sapiens days. Collaboration is still critical today. Whether your primary workplace tool is a tractor, a spatula, or a keyboard. Chapter Summary When COVID-19 arrived, few companies and their employees were prepared to embrace remote work and, by extension, collaboration. The world of work is not returning to its pre-COVID-19 days. Effective remote work and the tools enabling it will become only more prevalent and critical. And more remote work increases the importance of reimagining collaboration. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, 
patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.